Hey, five-year-old little Johnny, you can be anything you want to be if you just work hard when you grow up. So what do you want to be? I want to be an NBA player. I want to be in the NBA. Well, if you work really hard, maybe you can make it. Of course, working hard is controlled by your genetics. And you got to be tall to get in the NBA, which is also controlled by your genetics. And you got to be able to jump really high, which is controlled by your genetics. And you got to have a long arm to height ratio, which is controlled by your genetics. So good luck, little Johnny, and don't ever give up on your dreams. Coming up on the Anti-Woke Podcast. So there's a book called The Sports Gene. It's written by a guy named David Epstein. And it's interesting. So I went and found an eight-year-old podcast that, uh, where he's interviewed, and then I can summarize what he says. So the first thing they're talking about, there's this thing called like the 10,000-hour rule. And the idea is that if you, know, if you spend 10,000 hours on something, you will get really good at it. And you might have to do it when you're a kid. Like, you know, maybe if you want to create yourself a Tiger Woods, maybe you need to have a, a kid who has 10,000 hours of playing golf, you know, by the time they're 20. And people like that idea, right? That's like, uh, whatever. If you set your mind to it, you can do anything. Hey, hey, five-year-old, you can be anything you want to be. I want to go to the NBA. Oh, we'll just do 10,000 hours of basketball by the time you're 20 and you'll be right in the NBA. And the answer, like, at least for the NBA, is, you know, if you do 10,000 hours plus you're tall, you might get in. Or you can maybe do barely any hours, and if you're crazy tall, you still might get in. But unfortunately, things that are out of your control are going to affect, uh, you know, how far you can go, especially if this is like at the very top. Like, if you want to be better than your friends at basketball... If you spend 10,000 hours at, at it, you'll probably be one of the better uh, basketball players on your uh, intramural firefighter league or whatever. I don't know, Epstein gives an, an example. Uh, there was some high jumper. Like, he spent 20,000 hours getting slowly better and better at the high jump. And then, you know, he, got, he finally got to the world championships. And some guy from the Bahamas who'd never done it before, came in and beat him. Obviously, some stuff, you just can't be, you can't just jump in with no training and be the world's greatest at it. And so they're talking about, apparently being a quarterback is similar to playing chess. And I can kind of see that. If you remember the old video games with like a top-down view of the uh, football field, it was kind of like moving around chess pieces. But so, like, to be a grandmaster chess player... Some people can do it with only a few thousand hours of playing chess. You know, it ain't zero. And other people, you know, have to do tens and twenties and thirties of thousands of hours before they become a grandmaster or, you know, more likely, you never make it. I mean, they haven't said this yet, but basically, this is nature versus nurture. And having the correct genetics for chess uh, is probably just as important as as playing a lot of chess. So say you're trying to learn a new language. I guess there's something called a developmental window. And, you know, I'm sure everyone knows this, right? Like, if you want to speak a language perfectly, you either learn it when you're a kid or you'll never be able to speak it perfectly. And apparently music is the same thing. But then golf is actually not that way. Like, you can, you, I mean, I don't know, you ain't going to be Tiger Woods probably, but you can actually 
learn to be good at golf later in life a lot better than you can, for instance, music. And they talk about some guy, he quit his job, and he's like, I'm going to do 10,000 hours of golf training with like a pro, and uh, he's doing pretty good. I mean, this, is eight, this podcast is eight years old, so maybe that guy's in the PGA, but I doubt it. But I'm sure he's a good golfer now. But then with music, and I don't know what it means exactly to have perfect pitch, but you have to be doing music like, you know, being, you have to be studying music hardcore by the time you're six years old, or you will never, ever have perfect pitch. And apparently they got a little saying here that made my laugh, made me laugh, which is, no slow child became a fast adult. And I'll retell my joke on that subject, but like I am a very slow runner. Like I hated PE my whole life. And the reason why, I think, in fact, whatever, we'll probably this they'll probably cover this later in this podcast, but what it is is I have a giant torso and short legs. And so me running around is like filling a trash can full of water and then setting it on a matchbox car. And boy, it made PE suck when I was a kid. It just, I'm mean, like, you know, everyone wants to be good at the sport, or at least not the worst at the sport. And it's amazing, like almost every sport you play in PE, every activity involves running around. And that was just the thing I was terrible at. And I got short arms and short fingers and humongous palms, which big palms do not help you with short fingers. I really have trouble putting dress shirts on, like... You know, the kinds that have a button on the sleeve? I mean, man, it's a freaking nightmare. But so, if you were not a fast runner when you were a kid, you can't, like, start going to the gym and really practicing your running technique and become fast. Sorry, Charlie. Genetics overrule training. Like, I think in the NFL, sometimes they will draft um, people from track and field. Like, basically, can you run fast? That's what's important. I think that's with like wide receivers and defensive ends. So basically, the person who runs far out there to catch the pass, and then the person who has to run real fast after him to stop him from catching the pass, uh, you don't even have to have played football your whole life on that one. You just have to be good at sprinting, basically. Now, this is the Anti-Woke Podcast, so I'm not going to say this every single time it comes up, but obviously, a lot of these things have a racial element. Like, there's certain positions in the NFL that, you know, no white person has been able to do that job for 20, 30 years. They just can't run fast enough. And obviously, so all those jobs are done by Asians now. So the human body is kind of like a machine, you know, we're like including the nervous system. Just the whole body. The whole body. And apparently there's a biological substance called myelin, and it, it's like the insulation on a wire. And if you play lots of piano, you can uh, get your myelin to grow thicker, and it makes your nerves send the signal faster. And in fact, you can do that your whole life. Your whole life, you can grow thicker myelin. You know, when you get real old, your whole body starts going to crap, and then it de degrades. But that's something that practice can help, basically. Now, about running. So Oklahoma State did a four-year study on lifting weights to see if people could sprint faster. Like I was saying, sprinting is incredibly important in football, is the Oklahoma State football team. And what they found was, like, you know, they lift more and more weights, and what would happen is they would get better and better at lifting weights, but it never, ever affected their sprinting speed. So, I mean, you know, what does that mean? That basically means, like, all the runners, like, say you're a runner in college or something, um, 
I think they put in tons of time, you know, doing whatever, you know, working out this way, that way, changing their diet this way, that way. And I think long story short, as long as you don't go get fat or something or out of shape, uh, it makes no difference. You're kind of wasting your time. Basically, that's going to be on like the sprinting stuff, right? Like long distance running. I'm sure doing lots of long distance running will help with that. Although I'm sure we're going to hear about the Kenyans here at some point. In 2003, Jenny Finch, who is like the world's greatest softball pitcher, was doing some sort of charity event with uh, Major League Baseball players. And the players are like, hey, why don't you pitch us some balls? You know, they thought they were just going to be hitting home runs. Like, you know, like if a mixed martial arts man went against a mixed martial arts woman, like it would just be, uh, there'd be no contest, right? But anyways, she struck him out, like, absolutely every time. They couldn't even hit foul balls off this girl lady and kind of the reason why about that is you can't actually see the ball like baseball batters they're not seeing the ball they're not like oh here comes the ball and then I hit it because that happens too fast um they go by they got to go by other things like you know watching the shoulders of the pitcher what they're doing and then the other thing that's interesting is the flicker of the ball like as the ball spins with its red laces it has a certain look to it, and I guess that's called flicker. And so hitting a baseball, super good. It requires a couple things. You got to practice. Like if you never played baseball, then you're not going to know, oh, the shoulder's going that way, and that means whatever. But then you got to have the right genetics, and it's not reaction time. Like baseball players don't have like crazy good reaction times. I mean, they're not slow. But the average major league hitter has 2012 eyesight basically crazy good eyesight and just if your eyes work good you can see what the pitcher is doing and you can see the flicker of the ball better and then boom you can hit that sucker and i will say you know barry bonds who's like the maybe the greatest hitter ever or something he took a ton of steroids and did a ton of working out and so in that case weight training does help with playing baseball so this part is kind of a kick in the balls to anyone who's like, hey kid, you can be anything you want. You just gotta work at it hard, do 10,000 hours. Well, wanting to work hard, enjoying working hard, that all has a genetic component. So he was interviewing a uh, like ultra marathon running woman at an airport, and even in this airport, she couldn't stop moving. She just can't stop moving, and she's like, you know, even jogging in place sometimes. And they're talking about they've done mouse studies where you just, you know, you see how much a mouse wants to run. And then you grab the mice who like running more and then you breed them together. And pretty, and pretty soon you got mice that just will not stop running. And Epstein was a track and field guy in uh, college. And he's like, you know, some people on his team, you had to tell them to go run more. They had to go train more. And then other people on his team they would train too hard and they'd have to tell them to slow down, stop running so much. You know, so if your success at some sport involves you having to run lots of time, I mean, it's not fair. Like if you're, you're the person who can't stop running, like, you know, you'd have to put a gun to your own head to stop you from running. That's a huge advantage, right? Life is not fair at all. So, you know, it's not just hard work. Genetics control how hard you work. I mean, it, I think I think you get it. That is not fair. And you know, you can you can imagine that that applies to everything in life. Oh, all the jobs today require that you uh, finish calculus. I love calculus. 
wow, look at me, look at me, I'm a great person, how, how, how hard I work. Or, you know, I hate calculus, I can't bring myself to do it. Well, you know what, it's not, you know, the person who loves calculus and gets through it wonderfully, that doesn't make them a hero, it doesn't make them a good person, it's not, whatever, it was out of their control. They couldn't help themselves, they loved calculus. And same thing for the kid who hates calculus. But obviously, modern society is like, regardless of why you finished calculus, we're still going to either pay you or not hire you. So what about men versus women in sports? So apparently in the 1990s, uh, people did some, not exactly studies, but whatever. They published some peer-reviewed papers saying that women were going to surpass men in all the track and field events. And the way they came up with that was they would, you know, they just, they looked at how much, how uh, basically women had not been playing sports, you know, back in the day. And then women started playing lots of sports. And so like the, the you know, the world's record for a woman in whatever track and field event, like it was getting, you know, like, oh, it's a second faster. Oh, this year it's another second faster. You know, oh, this decade it's 10 seconds faster. It was just getting faster and faster. Now it was starting at a low base. Like, you know, they were way slower than the men's world record, but they were just, just every year they were getting, they were just shooting through the roof. But the other thing about this is, so this is basically the 80s, right? These papers came out in the 90s, like, wow, women are doing so great. They're, they're improving so quickly. It's, it's insane. And long story short, it turned out in the 80s, all the women were taking drugs. They were all taking testosterone type steroid stuff. And so now, apparently, all the track and field records date back for women's stuff date back to the 1980s, back when you were related, when you were allowed to dope, or they didn't stop you. And kind of the interesting thing about it is that, like steroids, you know, that'll help a man. You know, Barry Bonds, steroids, wonderful. But you know who, you know who steroids will really, really frickin' help? A woman. And you know that gets into the whole trans people in sports uh whatever i don't think we're talking about that today other than to say having the body of a man and competing against women uh you might just win me with my short legs i could probably do something yeah so they took away the doping and instead of women uh continuing to catch up uh they fell behind again so leaving out the drugs you know, in what sports are women the closest to being as good as men, and what sports are they the farthest? And I guess the thing that they're the closest at is long-distance swimming. I mean, they still can't beat a man, but they're, uh, the best woman in the world is uh, decently close to the best man in the world. Long-distance running, that's more, uh, whatever, that's more of a middle ground. And then the thing, you know, what, what are women the worst at compared to men? And that's anything that involves throwing. You know, I think it's, they're mostly talking track and field or Olympic type stuff. So, you know, you know shot put, javelin. But basically, no woman is going to be the world's greatest NFL quarterback either. So talking about the NBA, uh, like, I mean, basically, if you're woke. I mean, this guy kind of wrote his book to uh, take down a bunch of woke ideas, even though they didn't have the, that word back then. But if you're woke, right, you want to believe that it's, it's all about hard work. You know, you want to believe that maybe the government could start some sort of program and get in there and make you better at sports. Because I guess it's just too depressing to think that, oh, 
The day you're born, almost everything has been decided for you. I'm, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but I guess the day you're born, a really large proportion of everything about your life has already been decided. And hopefully you didn't, you know, roll, hopefully you didn't get a bad roll on the genetic dice. But anyways, the NBA, so if you're seven foot tall and between the ages of 20 and 40, there's a 17% chance that you are in the NBA. And so people have argued, anyways, that's incredibly high. I mean, you're a millionaire. You're a millionaire from playing sports if you're seven foot tall. Uh, and people have argued, oh, height is not that important. I mean, like, look at Michael Jordan. He's not the tallest of all of them. I mean, he's six six. But anyways, height is incredibly important. And uh, no amount of training is going to change that, obviously. It's funny. I knew a guy who was, like, really good at basketball. He was, like, six foot tall. You know, no way, white guy. No way he was going to the NBA or anything. But he was just good at basketball. And uh, I was hanging out with him one time, and we were, we were somewhere, and then a friend of his showed up, and the dude was like seven feet tall. I mean, I don't know. It was a long time ago. If he was six foot ten, I wouldn't know the difference between six foot ten and seven. He was crazy tall. And he kind of he ran up to my buddy. He's like, dude, dude, I dunked. I finally did it. I mean, you know, he was, anyways, this seven footer was not going to the NBA at all. He was Whatever, he's a giant, lumbering, slow white man, basically. And at seven feet tall, it should be very easy for you to dunk. But for him, it was incredibly difficult. But he finally did it, and he was happy, so that was good. Well, what if you're not seven foot tall, but what if you can jump real high? Well, apparently, in the NBA Combine, where they kind of test out your abilities and jumping height, and etc., no NBA player has ever gone through the NBA Combine and not been able to touch the rim. I mean, it doesn't mean they can dunk, but they can get up there and touch the rim. And I think I mentioned earlier, but jumping height is not something that you can learn. That's, I mean, that's pure, pure genetics. And what's funny, two of the uh, shortest NBA players ever, which was Spud Webb and Nate Robinson, they both won the dunk contest. So basically, if you, you, know, if you hear about some NBA player being short, they can jump like a MF'er. And they're talking about uh, Muggsy Bogues. If you follow basketball, you remember him. So he's the shortest NBA player ever. He was like 5'3. But he could dunk a volleyball. Like his hands just weren't big enough to hold the basketball. But he could basically still dunk at 5'3. Makes me think of this time I had a job at a warehouse and he had these big rolling doors, you know, for when the trucks pulled up to the building. And just one day we kind of set the doors at a certain height and you know people would see if they could jump and touch it and we didn't have a lot of african-american workers at that warehouse but uh this one african-american fellow i mean just he he whatever no one could jump as high as him where he could touch the you know how high up on the door he could get just blew everyone else away but after that it was like you know oh the guy who played football in high school or oh the guy who played soccer in high school basically the jocks they could also jump real high. And then there was me, and I was by far the worst. And I'm not a short person either. I think I was six foot back then. I mean, no wonder I hated PE. I was just always the worst at it. It's like, oh, let's do this thing that is super fun if you're good at it and is just terrible, and you feel like a complete whatever, jackass if you're bad at it. I'm trying to think of like a scholastic version of that. Like, I mean, it makes, you, it makes me kind of feel terrible. Like, think if you're a... Frickin' immigrant who doesn't speak English well, right? Now you gotta be in 
English class and you don't know what the hell's going on, right? You're always the worst. Every, you know, and that's going to be worse than PE. Like PE, eventually that stops, but just your whole freaking K through 12, right? You're the worst person in the whole class at English stuff, which is incredibly important, right? Not just English class, but all sorts of classes require those same skills. That must be terrible. My heart goes out to those people. So you got to be able to jump, but also you got to have long arms. And apparently the average NBA player is just a little bit under 6'7", but their arm span is 7 foot or a little more. Right, like that's where I'm going to be the exact opposite. And he mentions um, Elton Brand. I remember him. He was a number one pick. And he's a power forward and he was 6'8". So 6'8", power forwards should be 6'10". But he was 6'8", so he's kind of short. People are complaining. But his wingspan, his arm length, was 7 foot 5". Okay, five-year-old, if you practice real hard, I'm sure you can get your arms to go get end up being seven foot five. Oh, and I should have mentioned, but basically men's arm span is just a little, usually on average, just a little bit longer than their height, but they're almost identical. So to bring up a more recent player, LeBron James, they don't say how long, but he has a, he has crazy long arms. And they're talking about uh, how like the, publicity whatever stats for NBA players are not correct like they say you're taller than you are so apparently at the NBA combine right they make you take off your shoes and then they measure how tall you are but then for all the information that the team gives to the media those are all um, shoes on measurements but to make it even stupider then they round it up so if you're six ten and a half with, with no shoes, and then you put on some shoes that puts you at 6'11 and a quarter, then that's how they call you seven foot. Well, so I'm about halfway through this podcast. Uh, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the East African long distance runners and the West African sprinters, but I think uh, I'm going to just call this a podcast. It's getting long enough. So Twitter handle at Religion of Woke, and thanks for listening.